We are going to have some fun. Here we have our semesters are really a Easter celebration, just remembering the historical event that occurred over the last couple of days. And we're just going to take some time to celebrate that together. As a part of that, we do have a, a special feature here this morning. So, but just before we get started, I'm going to pray, and we are going to uh, get rolling from there. So, and if you would, uh, start ahead with me, and we'll get started with prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we, we thank you this morning. We, we remember you. We remember your glorious resurrection. The thing that causes you to stand out above any other person who's ever walked this planet. The thing that causes our faith to be uh, more credible than any other belief system this world has ever known. We remember you this morning. We want to celebrate you. We welcome you here. Even think of our memory verse that says we're four, two or more. Are gathered, are come together in your name, there am I with them. And we welcome you here this morning, risen Lord. Pray that you be honored and glorified. I pray that you would just direct this time. I pray that it would be joyful. Pray that you would use it to strengthen the faith of every person in this room and draw us closer to you. Just commit our time to you. We hand it over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we get started here, I was trying to think of the the proper greetings for Easter. You know, I've been trying it out, experimenting a little bit here. I like to say Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter seems a little too light-hearted for the moment. You know, I think it's, you know, I thought about, what about Merry Easter? That's probably even lighter. Some of you are maybe a little too into the Easter bunnies or Easter eggs, and some of you might say Poppy Easter. I don't know. But, uh, some of you might know the more traditional Easter greeting, which we're going to practice a number of times this morning. And how many of you know that uh, the traditional greeting? This comes from even some of the scriptures we're going to look at this morning here. So this tradition is founded uh, in the, the scriptures in the New Testament here. And it goes something like this, and if you don't know it, you'll probably learn it real quick. But I'll say something, and then you say something, and we'll see, see how it goes here. But, he is risen. <laughs> All right, let's try that one more time. Let's do it. He is risen. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Well, we're going to have some opportunities to practice that a few times here this morning. But uh, before we get to the, the passage we're going to read and, and just look at some of the encouraging truth from it, if you would, we're, we're going to welcome the, the Firehouse Children's Choir.
So, just a side note there, a little tangent, something to think about, something to bring up at cocktail parties or something, a little tidbit there. But, um, we're just going to read it and encourage you to read through this to, to try to uh, let the scriptures and the account that we read set the stage for you for what that first, the first day, the original day of the resurrection must have been like. You can try to just imagine it as we go through and some of the happenings that occurred throughout that day. We're really just looking at a, a one historical account of what played out uh, on that day. So we'll just read this together and then uh, the other thing I want to look for is it's going to be semi-interactive. We thought you did the greeting for today. He is risen. Awesome. We took you to see that thing. I like that. Enthusiasm. Um, we, there are going to be some spots in this passage that I trust to be able to figure them out, but when we get to them, try to fill them with an appropriate enthusiastic response there. So, hopefully you'll see them when we get there. But anyway, we'll read that in the beginning here. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with me in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his word. When they came back to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was uh, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and and the others with them who told the who told the, the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Then he over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And then he went away wondering to uh, he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, that's miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only a, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. Like Jesus needed to have one. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny Jesus was being truthful, as you notice. Know, he didn't like say, oh, I have no clue what you're talking about. He said, that's what thing are you talking about here? I think it's kind of, kind of fun. But uh, anyway, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, 
how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ actually suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was uh, at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those staying with them stumbled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen. He is risen indeed. It is true, the Lord has risen. He is risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. Then the, then the two uh, told what happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with me. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why did you doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, when he lifted his hands and blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple, praising God. So there's a, an awesome account uh, of what happened there. And we're just going to look at a few things uh, from, from this account and just from the, the resurrection of Jesus in general. But I hope my goal is to give you several encouraging truths about the resurrection of Jesus that you can take with you and apply to your life today. As you walk out of this, you can apply to your faith and um, to, you know, to your mission in life as well. And we're going we're gonna to look at some... I'm going to start with this phrase here back in verse, back in verse 11. Luke 24, verse 11. And it says this. This is after uh, the women had think that Jesus was not there, the tomb was empty, the angel had told him he's alive, and they went back and said, um, after they reported that they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And, you know, I just want to just talk about this idea of the resurrection from the dead. You know that um, 
in life in general here, if someone told you, someone came up to you today and said, you know, my friend who died a couple days ago, well, guess what? He rose from the dead and he's back in class and I just saw him this week. How many of you would buy that? How many of you would think that sounded like nonsense? I think most of us, you know, it's not the normal way of things to go that somebody dies, the blood is drained from their body, their heart in Jesus' case was either crushed or had birth, and they're in a tomb for several days. It's not the normal thing that anybody should come out of that. Why would you expect that? It, in a lot of ways, for someone who, who doesn't know any better, they look at that and go, that is nonsense. There's no reason for that to happen. And, you know, in some ways, I think the initial response expresses that idea. Hey, this things like that, they don't normally happen. I'm a rational, reasonable person, and people don't just come out of their sins and, and take up their bodies, especially when they've been drained of blood and, uh, you know, they've they died, you know. So, um, this is a, a reasonable response, I think, in some ways. But the first encouraging truth that I want to give you about this is that Really, the, the only way this makes any sense, or it makes any sense to me, is the fact that um, if, if you view it in light of the true and divine story revealed to us in the Bible by our Creator, that's the only way it makes sense at all. Otherwise, you just kind of go, "Well, I believe in you know, I believe in supernatural fantasy, crazy things happen. I just kind of believe it." Well, you might, but there's no reason that you should. There's no outside of the Bible. There's no, uh, there's no evidence. There's no uh, authoritative evidence that that happens. You know, I was talking to someone recently, and I thought that they were making some points of religious studies major. And but you know, the question was brought up. Well, what about other religions? You know, it's kind of like other religions. They have things that the Bible includes. It's a very valid question. Some some would say, you know, there there was a resurrection in Egyptian times, and Horus, you know, was a part of that. And others would say, well, there's there's another religion, this this little culture that they say they have a virgin birth, and someone else they claim to use prophecy. And I go, okay, but um, as I think about each one of those, you know what I say? Someone else had a resurrection. I don't buy it. Someone else had a virgin birth makes no sense. Someone else uses prophecy like the Bible? It doesn't happen. You know, the only reason I believe it is because God took all of these things and he glued them all together in the Bible as a creator. And, you know, it's not like it happened randomly. Some of these religions have a random. All this randomly, there was a resurrection. It just kind of happened. You know, it's just a cultural thing. Or uh, a virgin birth. That just happened that it just, you know, sort of happened in their day and age and they recorded it. It's kind of their claim to fame. But you see, the Bible, these things, they didn't happen randomly. The virgin birth, the supernatural life of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, they weren't arbitrary. They were a part of God's sovereign plan that he orchestrated from the beginning. They all are glued together. As a matter of fact, each one of them all being in the same story, I think it gives more credibility than some of just all randomly just happened here, randomly just happened there. We have the Creator God who brought them all about. Not only that, but he figured that each one of these amazing supernatural things were foretold hundreds of years in advance before it happened. Um, there's no other belief system like it. There's no other religion, major or minor, that has any credibility like this whatsoever. And, and we've got to catch that. We've got something in Christianity that, that nobody else has. You know, we have, you know, the Bible actually contains uh, by God's revelation, 
how this universe came to be. The Bible contains how life started. The Bible contains how any culture and any other religious system, it shows where they came from. Right here. No one else, science doesn't even have an explanation for the origin, but we have one that God has given us. And we need to know that. We need to know that, you know, apart from the Bible, apart from the, all being a part of God's well-orchestrated plan, it would be nonsense. But it is a part of God's plan. And any other instances of like that, I go, I don't buy it. They don't have the credibility that we've got. They just don't. And I just want to let you know that we, we have something that makes sense in light of all this. And it's interesting to go, these disciples, these people that were following Jesus, so many times, they just miss it, you know. This angel said, remember how Jesus told you this? You read the Gospels and Jesus told him, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to die. He's reading again. I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be crucified, and, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And he says it several times as we read it. They just miss it. You know, I go, I'm pretty blockheaded, I'm pretty stubborn, but I think I would have got it. Probably not. So, you know, hindsight for us, we have the advantage of looking back on it and going, well, it all played out just like it said. The Old Testament lays out these things that were supposed to happen. The New Testament contains the records of those who watched them happen. And it, it fits together perfectly as a part of God's divinely orchestrated plan. But anyway, it, it makes sense, I think, only in light of this. Only in light of the God that is the beginning and is the end. And he's able to tell you what can happen along the way. And things have happened perfectly as he predicted so far. There's still a few things to come. The next thing I want to make the point is that uh, I hope you catch that the resurrection, you know, I'll put it like this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the crux of Christianity. It's the crux. Um, I don't know if you know where the crux comes from. How many of you any rock climbers in here? Any rock climbing the other one? You know, uh, crux is, a, I, I know that is a rock climbing, but right there, I think a rock climber. Crux is a, a, a rock climbing, where a lot of times a crux is kind of a, the, as you have this climb that you're doing up the face of a rock or some you know crazy jagged mountain face, uh, they have a rating system. And a lot of the way that I understand it, I've only done a few climbs in my life. I'm not an expert, so um, you know, but I, I play one on TV here. But um, but the way that it works is that uh, a climb is rated by really the crux of the climb. The crux is a really a maneuver, an area of the climb that by the difficulty and complexity of that maneuver, it defines the whole climb. You know, and uh, it's kind of the defining maneuver of that climb. And you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the crux of Christianity. It's the defining maneuver of our belief system. We've got to catch that. I remember when I first started to follow Christ, I was kind of like, ah, seems like it's pretty important, but it's probably more important than he died for my sins. You know, the resurrection... Maybe, you know, I could, I could take a lead if this is wrong, I knew he died for my sins. You know, I really thought that was pretty clear in my mind, but I came across a, a passage of scripture that kind of stumbled me up on that. You know, because the Apostle Paul said, hey, this is, this is really the central issue here, this resurrection thing. And if you have a Bible, you can turn it with me, otherwise I'll just read it to you here. But uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about the importance of the resurrection. I just want to make sure we catch this that the resurrection is, you know, you could argue it's the, the, the most important facet of the entire Christian faith here. And, and I'll share with you why. But, uh, so, so Paul is making a case, this case is very case right here, like verse 14, he says, um, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, useless, and so is your faith. 
witnesses about God, but we testify about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise from the dead if, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. And if for this life we have, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And then he's the finale of his, his argument here. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed. But he's making the case that if he did not rise from the dead, our faith is a sham. It's kind of like the thing that proves it up. Otherwise, why would Jesus' death be any different than any other person's death? You know, he just made a lot more claims before he died. He claimed that he was dying for our sins. He claimed that he could forgive. You know, well, he just, if he died like everyone else, it's kind of like, well, well he died, and uh, the Buddha died, and Muhammad died, and you know, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, Jesus rising from the dead, he took the wait and see out of it. There's, there's not a, you don't have to bet, you don't have to gamble, you don't have to cross your fingers and hope that it's really nice. He rose from the dead. He validated every promise he ever made um, that he could forgive sin. Who could forgive sin but God alone was the question that was asked of Jesus. Who could forgive sin but God alone? He made the claim that he could forgive, but the resurrection gave the proof that he could follow through on that claim. The resurrection is the crux of Christianity here. Um, and let's see here. The next point we're going to talk about is um, really the resurrection, I think it's the glory of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is why this belief system should be and is exalted above any other belief system that has ever existed on this planet. And you know, that's a pretty bold claim. But um, it has to do entirely with proof shown through the resurrection of Jesus. Last week we talked a little bit about uh, kind of God made a cameo appearance. We're, we're living in life, it's like life is this movie, and God, you know, the author of this movie, the author of the story of life, he kind of wrote himself in a cameo role. And we talked about what that really means is that God himself showed up in this story. And he showed up in the person of Jesus Christ, you know. And, and the point we were making was just the fact that he showed up in person. Um, but cameos, in general, cameos are kind of, they're kind of dinky little roles, right? You know, you show up in a cameo, and someone's sitting there, and then like we talked about Twilight, and that father, and she's sitting there at the computer, hiding on the way, and she smiles a little bit or something, and, and that's it. That's her role. It's a done deal. So one of the ways that uh, the story of life, that God is the author of, that Jesus showed up and personally represented God, it's different than a cameo in that Jesus didn't just make this little insignificant appearance and kind of go, Jesus is arguably, uh, one quote, one historian says, he's irresistibly the central figure of all history. He didn't just make this little cameo appearance. He showed up as the, uh, the central figure of history. It's like a hero hit the, the spot. And he showed up, and the story leading up to that point was all about when the hero was going to arrive, when the savior was going to get there. And then the story after that is about what he accomplished while he was there, but then that, that hero is coming back, that savior is coming back again. And that's the last chapter of the story that lets us play out. But, um, Jesus is the central figure of, of history. He's the central figure. He's, he's the glory of Christianity. And the fact that he rose from the dead is, is something that no one else claims. You know, only God himself can forgive sin. Only Jesus showed any credibility, any authority when he came 
the matters of life and death. And, and we just gotta, we gotta catch that. I think about, because of this resurrection, we have a, one of the things we've passed out flyers in the neighborhood, just as we have a living hope. A living hope. First Peter 1 3 talks about through, a, through his mercy and, and our faith in Jesus and his resurrection, we have a living hope. And I just wanted to, to catch a little bit of what that, what does a living hope really mean? You know, I think of a living hope is kind of two sided. Some people have different hopes. There's like a, maybe I think that the Jews back in the days when Jesus came, they had a, a political hope. They hoped that Jesus was the one that was going to politically set them free. Some people have, they come up with philosophical hopes. Here's my hope. You know, kind of my philosophy, there is no sin, there's no this and that, there's no accountability, and you come back, you know, you have a second chance, and you have a third chance, you kind of reinvite it. I think that's a philosophical hope. Um, others have maybe no hope at all. They're like, no, I just don't care. When you die, you're done, that's it. That's, that's that. You know, uh, there's different, some have a blind hope. They go, well, I think, and, you know, I think, that when the comet passes by, there's actually a space behind it, and, and someone's going to take in it. They have a blind hope. There's no reason for a hope like that. We have a living hope. That means two things. One, the object of our hope, what we're putting our hope in, he's alive. He's alive. You know, if he dies in the living grave, and we just say, well, I have a hope that he raises from the dead someday so that he can help me. You know, we, the object of our hope, Jesus Christ, he is alive, and he's coming back. And he's going to keep his word, like we talked about last week. The other thing, when you come to hope, when you come to believe in Jesus Christ, this living hope, it is also a generated hope. Uh, it generates, it generates life. It, he, the object is alive, but the, the object, he generates hope in us. We have a hope that is alive, hope that we can be confident and assured, assured of. And so we just want to catch, because of the, the resurrection, Jesus He's the glory of us, our, as Christians, He's the glory of Christianity. He gives us a living hope. He gives us confidence in, in, uh, in what's going to happen when we die. But also confidence as we take this message to every person on the planet. Um, one thing I want to give you here is just a practical. You know, we're talking a lot of some of the theological parts of the resurrection. I want to give you one that's just a, a practical application of this. It comes from 2 Corinthians. Let me this verse. Chapter 1, verse 9. It says that um, Paul was writing and he talked about the hardship that he went through. And we'll start verse 8. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships you suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we could despair even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. You know, we need to know that not only do we have a hope, a living hope about where you go when you die, you have a God, the same God who exercises power to bring Jesus back to life, He wants to help you today. He wants to help you right when you walk out of here. He wants to meet you right in the middle. It's not like you get that way. You know, life can be hard, it's broken, and when I die, this will be good then. The same God that's bringing about our resurrection is the same God that wants to help me now. And in my own life, I, I tell you, you know, I saw this just play out over the last month. It has been one of the craziest, uh, most stressful months in my life as a pastor. You know, sometimes you go through seasons where you go, life is easy and I'm just coasting and I'm on autopilot and it's nothing. And then you go through other times where you go, 
I'm feeling crushed here. I look over this last month, and I feel like I had this month that was just dropped on me that uh, during that month I did come across this passage. I was reminded of it. But you know, it started back uh, about a month ago where some reason I signed up to do a teaching out in Omaha, and I thought, you know, we're going to do our normal week and the normal birth, but we're going to drive to Omaha, do a teaching, and we're going to come back Saturday and be here in time for Sunday. I don't know what I was thinking, but I signed up for that. And then while we were in Omaha, uh, some of you know, a dear, a dear friend of ours in this church family, she passed away. And when I come, came back, you know, they had asked me to do the funeral. So, so I go, you know, I had this added trip to my normal week, which I feel like can be somewhat full anyway. And then, on top of that, Donna Brown passed away. And, and I faced the pressure of doing a uh, funeral service and, and all that's involved with that. And, you know, you know Donna and Lemoyne, you know, they were just a dear couple, 80 years old, joined, showed up in our church because of their grandson. I shared his faith with them and told them, you should go to this church in Denver called the Firehouse. And... Lemoyne is up in four columns at a service of family up there, but um, it was a real hard thing to do the funeral for, for them. You know, part of it was, you know, I was glad because she had come to faith in Christ, and so she had a promise of eternal life. But the other part of it was just, I don't like funerals, and I've only done two in my life, and I hope not to do too many more. You guys, you know, if you honor your father and mother, you do things right out there, you guys will be long and all be love with you. But, um, <laughs> Um, but anyway, there was just this burden that I'm going to do this, you know, and this is just really, really hard. It just weighed on me. And on top of that, for the next week, I was uh, scheduled to do a, a marriage conference teaching. The opening night of the marriage conference, where there's four to five hundred married people, we're going to be up in Estes Park listening to my story on our marriage, Morgan and I, kind of the, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, and the good again as the story went. And so, um, I felt that pressure. Now, that was all on top of normal, regular teachings, the regular workloads we have in there. We know we've been wrestling with different things about our elite, and the church building comes up at the end of the month here, and we're trying to figure out what God is doing related to that. And all these things just piled on me more. I remember laying in bed one night before the funeral, the night before, uh, and I felt crushed. I just felt like this thing was literally a, a burden weighing me down, crushing my heart. And, um, but I just remember relying. I just was like, Lord, I cannot do this. I, I'm done. I can't do this funeral. I can't do this uh, marriage conference. I, I, I need you. Like, help me. You know? And I just feel like he came through the God who raises the dead. You know, all this burden that I had, that's just a drop in the bucket compared to what the God who raises the dead can do. And I felt like I relied on him. I was crushed. I probably to rely on him. And I tell you, you know, relying on him, it did not only help me survive, in the midst of all that, I felt even like I was thriving. It went from just keeping from being crushed to, it was awesome. And I felt like I was walking closely with God, and it was amazing. And, but that's how the resurrection can play out in your life on a, on a very real way. God who raises the dead. I don't know, some of you, I think that you've got finals coming up. Some of you in the NCAT probably are doing your finals right now. Some of you have got finals next week. Some of you have got different other struggles going on in your life that you might go, ah, I feel this burden. I feel stressed beyond what I can bear. Maybe you've been wrestling with your faith. Maybe it's, you feel like it's just about dead. But I want you to know that sometimes these things happen so that you do not rely on yourself but on the God who raises the dead. And I hope you look to him during this time. And I trust you will thrive even as I feel like he helps me thrive here. 
The last thing I just want to wrap up with here is just um, it's just about your response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think um, your response to his resurrection is going to determine, uh, it's going to affect you, not only now, but for eternity. I think about Jesus, that his, his arrival on the scene of the story of life, it divides all of human history in two. You know, you know what, I know it's before Christ, and then, and then after that, and then, Divides history, his birth divides history into two. But you know, his death and resurrection will divide eternity into two. What you believe about his death and resurrection will divide eternity into two groups of people. Jesus said very clearly there's going to be eternal life. And that's going to be good, and that includes forgiveness and relationship with God, not only now but forever. And then there's going to be eternal death, eternal punishment for those who rejected what Jesus did for them. And your response to the death and the resurrection of Jesus is going to affect you for eternity. And I just want to make sure every one of you knows the, the seriousness of that. That you know, if you have responded, you know, I, I just want to encourage you with that. That that has promise, that holds promise in this life, but also for eternal life. Um, I, I think of just in closing, I think Jeremy um, shared a verse here with, with one of the worship songs, and it was it was the account of Thomas and. Uh, Thomas was doubting, he was trying to figure out if he was really true, if Jesus really was raised from the dead. And I just want to quote from that, that section that Jeremy talks about. And Jesus, at that point, was interacting with Thomas. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. <laughs> For blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I just think each one of us does desire for us that we each have a personal response to Jesus like Thomas did. A personal response to the risen Lord where you say, My Lord, my God. Not generic, yeah, your Lord, your God, I know the history, I know the yada yada. But where you from your heart say, My Lord my God, when you see him as the Christ, when you see him as the Savior who died for the sins of the world, but more personally, he died for your sins. And, you know, and it went on Jesus affirming, when that you believe, now that you've touched me and done all these things, I always like to close where it says that Thomas doubted so that you might not. You know, Thomas had doubts. He needed to figure it out. He was there on the scene in person for those of you who needed it. And, uh, and he got what he needed. And therefore, you know, so should we. And he goes on to say, Jesus said, hey, you know, I understand you guys weren't there, you weren't able to touch my side and things like that, but you're even more blessed if you believe this, having not been there, having believed the, the account that you've been given. And I just want you to know that. Um, the last thing we're going to look at here is just how, how you can respond to this. Jesus was talking to, earlier in John here, um, chapter 11, he referred to it a little bit last week. He's talking to Mary, um, Mary and Martha. At one point, he's talking to uh, Martha about the resurrection. We'll wrap up with this verse here. But, um, so her brother had died, and she said to Jesus, "You know, she said, I know you will rise again in the resurrection of the last day." And Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die." Do you believe this? And this passage here, you know, it's 
I think it's real clear that Jesus says, hey, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. But then it gets a little cloudy. He's talking about like, so if you die, well then you'll come back to life, but if you, if you believe, then you won't die. It seems a little cloudy there. And, um, I just want to end on this passage, but also maybe clarify a little what Jesus was getting at. Jesus was kind of foretelling Martha what's going to happen when he returns. He knew he was going to die, be raised from the dead, but that he's going to return. And when he returns, for believers, he would relate to them in one of two ways. For those believers who died, he would be the resurrection. It says here, anyone who believes in me will live even though he dies. Someone who's a believer in Christ and they die, so then Jesus will be the resurrection. For those of you who believe and you are still here when Christ returns, he will be alive. He says uh, when he returns, there will be, for those that are still alive following him, there will be a, a translation into eternal life. You won't die. You will continue living, but you'll, it says you'll be caught up. Um, that's the rapture that we know is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 4. But, but anyway, he says, look, if you believe and you die, you're going to live again. I'll bring you back to life. And if you believe and I return, well, you're going to keep on living with me forever. And then he goes on to ask Martha this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I think that question is still valid today. I think Jesus would still ask you and I this question today. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He goes on to explain that. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the way to eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? We prove that it do it through the resurrection. Because what you believe about this will affect your eternity, your eternal destiny. My hope is that every one of you would maybe be, if you haven't figured this out, that you would consider that Jesus died for you and that he rose again. And as you search out other religions and other philosophies and belief systems, compare it to what Jesus has done, and the credibility that the Bible has uh, through prophecy, through the life Jesus lived, even through the, uh, the records themselves of the New Testament and the Old Testament. I encourage you to check into it for now. I hope that you would come to believe that Jesus died for you. And if you have come to believe that Jesus died for you, you know, every one of the gospel accounts related to the resurrection are followed by the next step. The Great Commission is shown in each one of the gospel accounts after Jesus rose from the dead. And basically said, hey, now you believe I'm alive, now get out there and tell people. You know, and Mark says, take the good news into all the world, into all creation. Matthew says, make disciples of all nations. And Luke here, he says, hey, look, repentance and forgiveness of sins need to be preached starting right here in Jerusalem to all nations. Um, and John says, hey, just as my father sent me on this mission, I'm sending you. Each one of these gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection is followed by a command to get out and tell others. And so, if you haven't come to believe in Christ, I just encourage you, when you're ready, just tell God and believe that Jesus died for you and invite him onto the throne of your heart as your Lord and Savior. Another thing you can do if you believe in Jesus is that way you can get baptized. You know, baptism is not tied to your salvation, but it's a way that you can tell others, I believe Jesus died for me. Baptism is really just a, a public expression of your private faith. You know, faith between you and God and coming to faith, baptism is a way you can express that to people publicly. It's the way God designed for that. And if you tell both of those, I encourage you to get out there and tell people the good news that they can have through the resurrection of Jesus.
Christ. Um, we're going to close with a song here. And I encourage you to sing in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to do the song that was put in by special request here for the band. But, um, I'm going to pray and we'll have them come finish things up with a song here. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you again. We just thank you, Lord, that you are, you are the hero, you are the savior, you are the story of life. We thank you that you have, you did die for our sins, and you rose from the dead, and proved, proved it all true, proved that you could do it, proved that you promised the whole truth for us. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you help us to get the message about you out to others. For those who don't know, those who right now with faith, separation. And we help us, Lord, to take this good news to them. Lord, I pray you help people come to believe in you and, and tell you that they believe and invite you into their lives. I pray that you would help people take the step to be baptized and publicly declare their faith. But we, we just thank you this morning that you did rise from the dead. We remember and we celebrate that this morning. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.